0: listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. A quick announcement before we get started that KHOL's Fall Pledge Drive is happening from November 15th to 19th. If you value this podcast and our team's in-depth local reporting, or the awesome shows from our volunteer DJs, or just about anything else from the station, please make a donation of whatever amount you can this week. Your financial contribution makes it possible for us to stay on the air, pay our rent, pay our staff, and bring you more programming like Jackson Unpacked. Thank you for listening and for your support. Okay, now coming up on today's housing-themed show, the city of Moab, purchases a trailer park housing low-income residents rather than see the land go to a luxury developer.
1: So I think the fact that the city purchased such a prime piece of land within downtown, like, I think that's huge.
0: Plus the story behind Colorado's first net zero affordable housing project.
2: All electric, all in, heating, cooling, washing.
0: But first, Shuttered restaurants and relatively traffic-free streets mean the off-season is in full swing in the Tetons. That means many international seasonal workers and visitors are heading home after months abroad. K2L contributor Natalie Shachar has the stories of two temporary Teton Valley residents who are ready to flee the snow and get home to Mexico.
3: Bundled up against the chill of an early November morning, Teodoro Sanchez is settling into one of his last days at work in Drake's this season. On this recent Monday, he's driving a tractor, scooping up dirt from a large mound and dumping it into a truck nearby. Sanchez has been coming to Teton Valley for the spring and summer seasons since 2017, spending about seven months away from his home in Mexico, working for MD Landscaping.
4: Work, work. That's what I dedicate myself to. I almost don't have any free time. I normally oh. rest on Saturdays, but this year I work Saturdays. Sundays I do cleaning and chores for the week ahead.
3: Sanchez focuses on irrigation, although he frequently finds himself performing a variety of tasks, like planting cottonwoods and aspens, he also says he feels lucky to have a temporary visa, which allows him to work in the U.S. legally.
5: It is difficult to get, so many people will love one. It is luck, a lot of luck.
3: And Sanchez says he hopes that good fortune will stick with him.
5: As long as this company keeps bringing me and I'm able to do the work, I'm going
4: to keep coming.
3: Meanwhile, at the nearby Drake's Mexican restaurant, Agave, Ana Lupercio is also here temporarily. Lupercio comes to visit her family for a few weeks about every two years. Her nephews, who run the business in Drake, are frequently overwhelmed by the number of customers. So Lupercio lends a hand when she's in
6: town. It's something beautiful to have this contact again with my family after years of being far away. I was longing to see them. It's good to have them and be together with family. Lupercio mostly helps her nephews
3: wash plates and serve a steady stream of hungry customers. But she also enjoys the landscapes of the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem which doesn't resemble anything she sees
6: in her home city of Guadalajara. Where I am from, I don't see these landscapes. Here, I see the white hills, the houses, the beautiful white roofs. It's beautiful. The snow season, it's beautiful. And I have also come in other seasons when the trees are yellow, red, and green, and I
3: like it. Thousands of foreign nationals, like Sanchez, come to the state each year to do seasonal labor, according to the Idaho-based Snake River Farmers Association. Many others, like Lou Percio, come to visit their family members abroad. Both say they're grateful for their time in Teton Valley. But as the cold sets
6: in, they are getting ready to hit the road. When everything turns white, I run. I flee the cold. I am very cold-blooded.
3: This year, two of Sanchez's sons were also employed by MD Landscaping. But in mid-November, he'll be headed home to reunite with the rest of his family, almost all of whom still live in Mexico.
4: My wife, my daughters, and my other son. Another son I have, the oldest, and my grandchildren, siblings.
3: When Sanchez is in the U.S., he usually talks on the phone twice a day with his wife. But he says it's still difficult to live so far away from Mexico and his home state of Michoacán for much of the year. Lupercio also struggles with the distance from her family based
6: here when she's back in Mexico. Pero cuando yo me voy, me llevo esa nostalgia y ese when I go, I have nostalgia for how great the family on this side is. And when I go there, I want to come back here. But I also want to be with my family there because they are my roots. And sometimes I have one foot here and the other there. Sanchez says he comes to the
3: United States for financial reasons. It's difficult for a man in his 50s to find fairly paid work in Mexico.
5: Que nada, pues, agradecerle a Dios, no, que...
4: I am just thankful to God that I have a life and that I have work, even if it's in a country that's not mine. I'm thankful it gives me an opportunity to come. I don't reject my country, but it's more difficult to live there economically. I hope in the future things get better, not necessarily that it will be just like the U.S., but that so many people won't have to leave.
3: While Lupercio's visits are more about family, she says she's already looking
6: forward to her next trip. I have this beautiful memory of my time with them for the next two years until I return. For KHL News, I'm Natalie
3: Shuffler.
0: Up next, we have a few stories from our reporting collaboration with Rocky Mountain Community Radio and the Solutions Journalism Network, highlighting affordable housing solutions across the Mountain West. Not unlike Jackson, Boulder, Colorado has had a tight housing market for decades, and the pandemic only made things worse. But in a city with strict growth limits, many in Boulder are looking to add housing in their own backyards, often quite literally. Lucy Haggard reports for KGNU about how accessory dwelling units might be one way to solve the dual crises of cost and stock.
7: Ed Levy dreamed of living in Boulder for years, often taking 80-mile round-trip drives to visit the city. When she underwent a few major life changes, she decided it was time to move here. The question then became how to afford living in Boulder, a city notorious for a few housing options and a high cost of living. Around that time, Kurt and Kristen Nordback were building an Accessory Dwelling Unit, or ADU, in their North Boulder backyard. One lucky day, with the ADU almost finished, Kurt was standing outside right as Levy drove by. Levy was thrilled.
8: So I found him outside, and I approached him, and one thing led to another, and here I am.
7: With Boulder's limits on both upward and outward growth, adding housing options means filling in the gaps between existing units. Accessory Dwelling Units can do that countering the dual crises of housing affordability and availability while generally following the aesthetics and amenities of the city. As a secondary dwelling unit to a main house, an ADU has all the components of any other residence, including a kitchen, bathroom, and sleeping quarters. ADUs can be attached to the main dwelling, such as in a basement or above a garage, or detached, often in the backyard. The Nordbacks have lived in Boulder on and off their whole life. But Kurt says his family wouldn't be able to move here today, given the high cost of living and minimal housing options.
6: We do a pretty good job of, of creating deed-restricted, income-qualified, affordable housing. And we do a pretty good job of building 4,000 square foot mansions. And we don't do a good job of filling in the middle. And we haven't done that for a long time.
7: The size of an ADU can vary in Boulder, with both detached and attached ADUs up to 1,000 square feet, depending on if they are zoned as permanently affordable units or if they are in a historic district. Some people may be skeptical about downsizing from a traditional house to a unit a third of that size, but for many others, the space fits their lifestyle perfectly. Since moving to Boulder in December, 80-year-old Levy spends much of her time out and about, often walking her Bernies mountain dog, Rupert. She came out as queer earlier this year and is enjoying making friends with folks in the area. It's a time of rebirth for her.
6: This is the perfect place for me. I go out, I go to events, so I've got a new life.
7: The city of Boulder did loosen some of its ADU regulations in 2018, including allowing more ADUs to be built near one another. There's no clear way to tell the maximum capacity for ADUs in Boulder, but city officials say that there's still more potential to build before most neighborhoods become saturated. Some advocates would like to see even more flexibility in the rules, as well as a faster approval process. But change is happening already. Since 2018, more than 200 ADUs have been built or greenlit for construction, about one-third of which are designated as permanently affordable. For perspective, in the first 35 years ADUs were allowed in Boulder, there were just 231 built. Kurt Nordback thinks Boulder will likely always have some degree of exclusivity, But he says everyday homeowners can make it more affordable and inclusive by choosing to build an ADU.
6: It's a great feeling to know that we're now housing an additional person on our lot who otherwise would not be able to live there. And we have another neighbor, and it's great.
7: The ADU model is also one of the more sustainable and affordable ways for a city like Boulder to innovate its housing options, especially as climate change grows more urgent. That's according to M.L. Robles a boulder-based architect who focuses on building ADUs. Both an attached ADU and one that stands separately from the main house can tap into existing utility lines, and a small space like an ADU can be more efficient with its surrounding environment. This can also mean cheaper utility bills for tenants, even those who rent an ADU at market rate. But an ADU can be more than just an eco-friendly box. Oftentimes an ADU looks just like, you know, a condo or an apartment. My goal is, no, these are little houses and you need to have the benefit. You can have a garden." Boulder is leading the charge in ADU development, but other cities have joined the bandwagon too. Nearby in Denver, rezonings of entire neighborhoods may now make it easier for potential ADU owners to get approved to build. And a law just signed in California allows for lots currently zoned as single-family to build up to three more dwelling units on the same land. But the ADU model is not a silver bullet. If the main house's owner chooses to sell, The ADU renter may need to find another place to live if they can't sign a new lease with the next owner. To be sure, no one housing strategy will entirely fix the dual housing crises of affordability and availability that plague Boulder and many other cities. But accessory dwelling units are one tool in the kit that many hope will be more useful in the coming years to ensure Boulder can welcome people from a wide variety of backgrounds, including Levy.
8: No retirement home for me. I have a lot of things to do. I'm considering buying a horse. So there's a a bunch of things on my agenda for the future.
7: For KGNU, I'm Lucy Haggard. The Jackson Town
0: Council also started allowing the construction of what they call Accessory Residential Units, or ARUs, back in 2016. The units are supposed to be used for guests of the primary home or rented to local workers for a minimum of 90 days. But some town officials and residents have expressed concern that those rules aren't being followed. ARUs are on the agenda to be discussed during a town council workshop on Monday, November 15th. In our next housing story today, Lining homes with solar panels isn't usually what comes to mind when creating affordable housing projects in rural mountain communities. But designing homes that can produce their own power is one way to keep utility bills close to zero. KVNF's Stephanie Malterich visited Basalt, Colorado, to learn how one community collaboration created the first net zero affordable housing project in the state.
5: About a dozen workers keep warm by hammering nails and sawing wood on a cold fall morning in Basalt, Colorado. At first glance, the site looks like an average construction site, but it's far from typical. It's Colorado's first rural net zero affordable housing project.
2: We can have affordable housing, but it's truly affordable if you can manage the utility costs.
5: Gail Schwartz is the president of Habitat for Humanity Roaring Fork Valley. She started working in affordable housing in Aspen over 40 years ago. Her most recent project, Basalt Vista, is located behind the high school near the center of town. Net zero homes produce on average the amount of energy they consume.
2: Our homeowners are basically paying the connection charge to the utility and otherwise providing their own energy and all electric, all in. Heating, cooling, washing. It's a pretty remarkable concept that you can control utility costs through this site generation.
5: Dodson Harper is a principal engineer with Resource Engineering Group in Crested Butte, Colorado. His team designed the systems that offset energy for the Basalt Vista project. He says historically, affordable housing projects prioritize keeping building costs as cheap as possible. But that's starting to change. His company is currently advising a handful of other net zero projects across the state.
4: If you're trying to build housing for people who can barely afford to live in a place, having them have zero or extremely low utility bills is a win-win. It's good for the environment and it's easier for the people to live there.
5: Harper says net zero homes cost more to build, so it's hard to make them affordable, but it's hard to put an exact price on how much more expensive net zero homes cost to build. Jake Israti, Basalt Vista's program manager, estimates the project will cost 15 to 20% more than a traditional build, even though going all electric saved his project money in many places.
4: I think it's really important to find the rebates that are offered to everyone, not just Habitat. You've got to check with your utility and see uh, what kind of rebates you can actually get in, in order to make it affordable. This is my daughter's room, and then we have the downstairs bathroom. Jeremy
5: Duncan moved into his family's four-bedroom townhouse in Basalt Vista just over a year ago. Duncan works in the IT department for Pitkin County, and his wife is a history teacher at Aspen Middle School. They've lived in the Roaring Fork Valley for 13 years, and housing has always been a challenge.
4: The housing market, it's it's tricky when, you you know, there's the haves and the have-nots. You know, we just weren't quite at the point where we could compete in the normal market, you know.
5: Prior to purchasing their home, the couple, along with their two kids, lived in a 600-square-foot apartment owned by the school district. With two kids in a cramped apartment, the couple asked themselves, should we stay or should we go? But they wanted to remain in the community they've been contributing to for over a decade. Now, Duncan is thankful for the space, and he enjoys seeing the energy his family produces and saves.
4: There's the water tank. Everything's fully electric, right? Mm-hmm. So everything is running on electric, no gas. And the thing is, is we were able to see what a house that's run on full electric, what that bill looks like without credits. It's what you would expect, right? And then we started generating credits. So pretty quickly, the, the minute that the sun came out, that started balancing against our output or what's your banking versus what you're using.
5: Basalt Vista is unique. It's a partnership between Roaring Fork Valley School District, Pitkin County and Habitat for Humanity. The collaboration pooled resources to subsidize each house.
2: That is how this has been made possible is through the partnerships and I would encourage anyone looking at Project like this because there's a vested interest in these groups and wanting to uh, house their workforce and, and house people in their community and stabilize families. Schwartz and her team
5: are proud to be the first rural net zero affordable housing project in Colorado. Other communities aren't far behind though. Breckenridge, Telluride, Carbondale, and Summit County are working on their own net zero affordable housing projects made possible by a similar process. Various entities working together to create housing that is both affordable and a win for the environment. Reporting for KVNF and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Stephanie Maltrich.
0: When a trailer park housing low-income residents went up for sale in downtown Moab, Utah, local elected officials worried it would get bulldozed for a new hotel. So the city bought it. Molly Marcello of KZMU reports on Moab's ongoing plans to safeguard workforce housing and develop affordable apartments on the site. This story is also part of our reporting collaboration between Rocky Mountain Community Radio and the Solutions Journalism Network.
8: Rosa Gonzalez is describing her ideal home. Rosa is not her real name. She asked us to change it for the story. But her dreams of a three-bedroom apartment for her and her two teenage sons, those are real. My kids live comfortably, but they do say that they would like to have a nicer apartment, similar to the way other kids live. Right now, we live pretty tightly. They're in a one-bedroom trailer. Her 16-year-old sleeps in the living room, her 19-year-old in the kitchen. She has a sofa bed there, and I have my little room that gets wet. Rosa explains that when it rains, water leaks right down onto her bed. Her prefabricated trailer is well over 50 years old. Maintenance crews have been troubleshooting to fix it. Rosa and her 85 neighbors who make up Moab's Walnut Lane neighborhood are familiar with leaks and other issues with their aging trailers. I have heard that they have plans to build some apartments for people who live in Walnut Lane so we can move into more updated and better housing. We want something better. Rosa's landlord is Moab City, and they do have plans to bring something better to this community, many of whom make up the backbone of the tourism industry here. Rosa works cleaning hotel rooms. Her neighbors work in restaurants and other service industry jobs. Like her, many are Spanish-speaking immigrants.
5: I really do want people to understand that we value our workforce community, that we value people that are cleaning the rooms and that are serving our meals.
8: Moab's Mayor Pro Tem, Tani Knutson Boyd. She's speaking to me in a busy downtown area, not far from Walnut Lane. From here, we can see a luxury hotel whose construction displaced residents from a different trailer park several years ago. When the Walnut Lane property was about to go on the open market, Knutson Boyd said she worried a hotelier would
5: scrape the trailers that were there and the people that were living there would find themselves without a home.
8: Moab City Council purchased the trailer park for $1.8 million, taking a step to safeguard housing for the local workforce. They want to develop long term affordable housing at the site and not displace any current residents in the process. I mean, it's obviously been a challenge to figure out how and what that looks like. Caitlin Myers. She's the senior projects manager for Moab City. Her main job is overseeing the development of what will be the Walnut Lane Apartments.
1: So the project will be built out in three phases in order to meet the city's goal of not displacing any of the current residents. So the first phase will be eight units. This is the first time Moab City is
8: acting as developer for its own affordable housing project. They want 80 units of multifamily housing, which would more than double the current density available with a trailer park and be restricted to the local workforce.
1: So I think the fact that the city purchased such a prime piece of land within downtown that will be like permanently restricted for people Mm -hmm. that live and work here, I think that's huge. But general enthusiasm for this
8: project has waned lately. It's been exactly three years since Moab City purchased the trailer park. They were finally supposed to break ground on phase one of the apartments this summer, but instead terminated their contract with their builder after the company couldn't meet the performance bond requirements. After this setback, some city council members suggested cutting their losses and replacing the old trailers with new ones. Others are still pushing for a longer-term solution. Myers projects the Moab area will need 700 more units of housing by 2030 across a variety of incomes.
1: We do need the density, like... We want a, an opportunity to provide more housing for residents that need it. And the only way to do that is to build multifamily
8: housing. Rosa says she's looked for other places for her family to live in Moab, but there's nothing available right now at a price she can afford. Moab City, meanwhile, is hoping to get a new builder in place by the end of the year and break ground on phase one next summer. Rosa says she'll stay put for now and wait for the new apartments. I have faith in God that they will build and that I will benefit from them because my kids and myself need them, and so I stopped getting wet in my bedroom. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Molly Marcello.
0: Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this week. A new free COVID-19 rapid testing site opened in Jackson Monday. The site is located in the former Kmart and Future Target Plaza near Subway. Blake Lackey is Senior Director of Operations for Curative, the company operating the site, in partnership with the Teton County and Wyoming Departments of Health. He says the Jackson location is one of Curative's first rapid testing sites in the country.
4: Ultimately, I would love to be out of a job here in the next two months. But unfortunately, just what we're seeing, it's just not not going to happen yet.
0: The Teton County Health Department is encouraging anyone showing symptoms of COVID-19 or who was in close contact with someone who tested positive to take advantage of the new site, where results will be ready within one hour.
4: The Teton County School District will present their master plan at an information session at 5 p.m. Wednesday night, according to School Board Chairman Keith Gingery. The plan is essentially a list of needs the local public education system has, and he's looking for feedback in terms of what parents, teachers, and staff want, even if it's more of a long-term investment. We're trying to make sure that we're approaching our limited land availability in a strategic way, so we're coming at it as Number one, education is number one. So which pieces of land do we need to make sure that we are maintaining for future schools or future school expansion? Other priorities include upgrading security, labs for engineering, and bigger athletics facilities. But an important near-term goal, according to Gingery, has to be finding places for more staff to live. Gingery also says, depending on the project, he'll be exhausting all resources, including state funding, private donations, school board reserves, or local ballot initiatives to raise the money to get it done.
0: Following local elections last week, the city of Driggs will be swearing in a new mayor in early January. Hiram Johnson has led the Teton Valley community for the last eight years and had hoped to serve a third and final term.
6: At some point, it is right for those of us who are elected to move on and uh, let others come in and fill those seats and bring their perspectives and their insights and their hopes and dreams to the community as well.
0: Johnson will be replaced by the current Driggs City Council president, August Christensen, who campaigned on a platform of fostering more collaboration and direct communication between citizens and the local government.
7: Something I think is really important is how are we able to collaborate more as a whole community with the other cities here in the county and the nonprofits and the organizations? How can we all come together to collaborate, to work on all these really big issues together? We don't need to be siloed. We don't all need to come up with the answers separately and work independently.
0: Christensen will take office on January 4th. However, the results of two other local elections in Teton Valley remain uncertain. Recounts have been requested in two close races for the Drake City Council and Teton County School Board, according to the Teton Valley News.
4: Finally, federal rental assistance is available for Wyoming residents struggling to make ends meet in the current housing market. The Cowboy State has received $352 million in federal funding to help with emergency rental assistance, but has only doled out $10.5 million thus far and just $189,000 in Teton County. More information is available at dfs.yo.gov slash E-R-A-P.
0: That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band, Strumbucket. Subscribe now to Jackson Unpacked on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL... Jackson.